Welcome back to the World on Drugs podcast, everybody. It's your boy Steve here, and we got another what? Say it with me. Say it slower. Say it fast. We got another banger on our hands, folks. This day, all about. We're going to learn all about what happens when a dictator gains power due to a promise to fight communists. We'll be talking about former president of the Philippines, Ferdinand Marcos. This episode is another banger with plenty of juicy and unfortunate details of what happened to his political opponents. You'll hear about his life, rise to power, how he became a dictator, and then the awful, awful things that happened to his enemies when he became a full-fledged dictator while holding the Philippines under martial law. It's a wild one today, folks, on World on Drugs podcast. I want to give a shout out to my producer dr joe haswell oh man how are we doing you guys maybe you guys are gonna wonder uh steve why are we doing this guy well um the funniest thing was happening if you've been keeping up on your philippines um politics which i know we have they just got rid of duarte he was the guy who kind of i mean if you talk to a lot of filipino uh people they didn't seem to really hate him he had very strong views against drugs like uh, i believe if you got caught with meth it was a literal death sentence like they would uh murder you and he would say some buckwild shit he was kind of like trump but people kind of liked him but now they just got a new president they elect a new president who is ferdinand marcos's son bong bong marcos and this is gonna be just an episode where if you keep in mind cat get away from me i can't deal with you right now if you keep in mind that what all the horrible things Ferdinand did, you're going to be like, how the fuck did you elect Bong Bong? That's his kid. Like, just the guy's kid. His normalized kid. There's no, like, you know, six generations later, nothing. It's the man's straight child who was alive and was working in his government. When he was, It's a really, it's a lot like when someone keeps getting back with someone who hit him, you know, who was very mean. And it just, I guess, feels comfortable and better than what was before. But guess what, guys? There's got to be more people out there for you, sister. You got to go out there. Um, this week, we're having my guest, Andrew Orolfo. Who is Andrew Orolfo? Well, actually, if you don't know him, that's more on you. He has done a Colbert. He's done a Corden. He has a spot on Netflix under Joe Coy's comedy special that came out a couple years ago. He was touring with Joe Coy for a while. And he just came out with another Comedy Central Presents. I've just another Bay Area guy, another one of the guys that when I was starting comedy, coming from Sacramento, he was kind of coming from Walnut Creek, which is outside of the Bay a little bit. It's kind of it's right on the cusp. Um, and then when we were going into the Bay, the guys in there at the time, talking about the San Francisco Bay, weren't nice to us. You know, they kind of treated us like we were lesser. So we all band together. And the thing about life the old people well unless they're our supreme court um <laughs> the old people are gonna leave you know they're gonna leave your job they're gonna leave your high school they're gonna leave your college and they're gonna leave your comedy scene they're gonna move or they're gonna quit so once they all moved and or quit mainly quit me andrew rolfo mark stevens Dayud namor we all became a little more uh popular and we were all friends since then so it's a fun one he recently got a Jollibee tattoo. If you don't know what that is, that is a Filipino fast food restaurant. And if you're wondering what kind of food they sell, it, I would describe it as everything. They have a Hawaiian burger, which is a burger with a big ring of uh, canned pineapple on it. 
you know, to each their own. Uh, then their main thing is chicken and spaghetti. Like that's what you you get. That's like if you went to Kentucky Fried Chicken instead of sides, you get very sweet spaghetti. It's very popular. They got a real cool bee. He got a tattoo, so you know he knows a little bit about being Filipino. Not as much as I thought, though. Honestly, he hasn't gone to the Philippines as much as I thought as uh, Anthony de Guzman has, which was another one of our Filipino podcasts. Actually, funny thing, the last one we did that was that gang was the Bahala Na gang. Remember them? Oh, they were a fun time. Little rascals murdering people, shooting people at taco carts. Just a couple of fellas trying to have a good time. <sighs> what have I been up to, man? I have been on quite a roller coaster since I saw you guys last. It's been about two weeks. Um, really, things have just been kind of going as they go. Uh, should be finding out about JFL next week. So we'll see about that one. Other than that, uh, my knee has been uh, recuperating. Been walking around, trying to lose the weight. Spots have been good, trying to write some new material. The biggest thing I had was, um, so let's say you don't know anything about actually comedy. Like, you might know if someone's funny or who you think's a good comic, but you don't know anything about the business. So let's talk about the business where I'm at now and the business where people me and probably lower than me. A lot of times your goal is to get into a comedy club, right? Then you start working there. So your idea is to get about 45 comedy clubs to work you if you want to go on the road. Why about 45? Because that's one almost every week, a little bit less than uh, three a month. If you get those, then you start working. How you get those is either you can go to each comedy club, hang out, talk to them, get up at the open mic, have that booker like you, have them work you as a host, work you as a host for a few years, then work you as a feature for a few years, then work you as a headliner, bam, you got one. But that can take a long time. Now, me and Andrew Rolfo, Torio Van Groel, Zach Chapelloni, Richard Sarvate, we all came up in San Francisco. And, the, and when you come up into a scene, like one of the bigger cities, like a um, San Francisco, a um, Nashville, I guess, a Chicago, a, I guess Los Angeles and New York are a little bit different because they're showcase case, case clubs i'll tell you a little bit about that later so you go to your biggest comedy club around which would be one of the a clubs uh the improvs are a clubs but they have a more corporate thing that you don't really get brought up through them like you're not going to be at the milwaukee improv in one day start working on the other ones and you probably won't ever headline it either because they get booked out from la so we all were working together or working at the san francisco punchline that's where i met all these guys um, and I was coming from San Francisco. So what you do was you would go every Sunday on to their mic. Um, it was every Sunday and you would try to get up and I would go from Sa Sacramento, which is about an hour and a half each way every Sunday trying to get up and I wouldn't get up for years. And that's when you start bonding with the guys in the back. Cause you guys are young and you guys wish we were getting up, up there and slowly you start getting up there and then you get worked as a host and you get worked as a feature. But a lot of times your home club is actually the one who fucks with you the least on promoting you to headline. They always kind of see you as their kid brother. So that's what happens when you go to a smaller town. Now, at the time when I was coming up in Sacramento, if there's enough comedy clubs around you, you can do that process to four or five clubs, and then you get four or five clubs, right? So that's what I did. I got passed by every club in Northern California, then moved to L.A. so that now when I go home, comedy club pays for me to go home. Now, in L.A., 
In New York, it's a little bit different. These are what is known as showcase clubs, okay? And that's not where there's a host. That's not where there's a host doing 10, 12 minutes, 10 to 15. That's not where there's a feature doing 20 to 30. That's not when there's a headliner doing 40 to an hour. These are everyone does 15 minutes. So the premier ones are, I would say, Stand Up New York, New York Comedy Club, The Stand, and definitely Reign Supreme in New York, The Cellar. That's the one that was on Louis C.K. In L.A., it is Laugh Factory, Improv, and the Comedy Store. Those are on the top. And to me, those are the um, most important clubs, even more than New York ones, because a lot of the New York guys move to L.A. and try to get up on those clubs. Now, the ones that reign supreme over every club in the world is the Comedy Store. What's up, guys? How you doing? Steve Ferry performing there multiple times a week. Now, this is where this all comes to. About five years ago, when I got signed to Levity, it's a management company, um, I got in front of the people at the Improv. Now, the Improv, the Hollywood Improv, to me, is one that I always just kind of wanted to get into. I just put it up there as like a historic club. So if you're in your town and you have a Improv, not improvisation where you get some fucking theater dorks in there trying to be funny once every 25, 30 minutes. Some of it's very good. Some people are very good. I just like planning stuff. Um, that's not the same. These are improv. It all kind of looks the same. All the brandy, branding looks the same. They all came from this place in Hollywood. So I really wanted to get into it, you know, to prove that you belong. I belong with some of the greats. You know, if they were able to do, it's like graduating from Harvard, except comedy stores, Harvard, and this is Yale. So if you can get double, I don't even know if you can get double degrees, but it's cool. So five years ago, they go, hey, Steve Fury, you can start sending in your veils. Now your veils, every week, for the comedy store, it's on a Monday. For the improv, it's on a, it's like two weeks ahead of time. You send in your veils to the club, and the next day, they tell you what shows you get, if you get any. So five years ago, they tell me to send in my veils. And I send them in. And I get the email. And every week for five years, I send them in, and I never get a spot. But that's not to say I've never performed at the improv. I've gotten the guest spots they've given me, the like five-minute ones. I've gotten, done a bunch of shows there. I've ran a show there. But I never got the real 15-minute spot where you get paid money, the good bucks for it. So after about me sending in my veils for six months and not getting anything, the type of guy I am is um, I go, okay, it's on. I'm not going to let you beat me. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep sending them in. And that's what I did. I sent in my avails to them every Monday for five years. Now, during the pandemic, that was about two and a half years, kind of slowed down. But for story's sakes, that's five years. And I did it every week. After the pandemic, I was back on the email list. Still had never gotten a real spot. But I said, fuck it. Let's keep sending them in. And this is what I really did. Then I started touring with Bert, right? And then his manager, Judy, um, is one of the co-owners of Levity, which Levity is my management company. Levity owns every improv in the nation. So I go in the group when I did the uh, Grand Ole Opry. She's there. I murder. She comes up to me. He goes, wow, that was an incredible set. Is there anything I can help you with? And I go, can you get me into the improv? She goes, yeah, I'll send an email. You guys remember the Grand Ole Opry. That was a couple months ago. I got nothing. Then with Pablo last week or two weeks ago, you guys remember me talking about that one. 
I get up there, I murder. I mean, I did pretty good. I played it down, but I got like borderline standing ovations. Because, you know, it's my type of crowd. California, lower income white people, Mexican people, and black people. It's just more lower income people going out to have a good time. That's my crowd. Dressed up. I crush. Then the lady who books every improv in the country, not the Hollywood Hollywood improv one, but every other one, she goes, hey, man, I heard you killed. And I go, hey, can you give me a recommendation to the improv? And then in Nashville, when I was at that show, we went to a party. One of the bookers was there. They came up to me, told me how much I loved them. I go, hey, can you send in an email to the Hollywood improv? Now, five years ago, I could have, after six months, gotten butthurt, you know? Oh, they're not giving me what I deserve. At the time, I thought I deserved. They're not giving me what I want. They said they're going to do this. Could have done that. But that's bit shit, really. <laughs> you know, it's like you're just complaining. I did it the other way. I go, okay. I'll find a way. I'll go above you. I'll go to the side of you. I'll go around you. I'll go everywhere so that when you hear my name, you hear I did good. And guess what, guys? I finally got an improv spot. After five years and doing all that, I finally got one. And so I'm going, and it means a lot to me. I was going to MI Westside first. MI Westside is another showcase club, but they kind of do actual improvisation more. But they're a great club on the West Side. Go and check them out. I go there first, then I go to the com, then I go to the improv, and it's you know. Imagine sending in your resume to a place that you wanted to work for a long time from a guy who said he'd. He'd hire you, and he never did. And then one day he goes, hey, we got an interview. And I go in there, and I, uh, I'm i going up decent spot. Crowd's real light. But, you know, man, I'm used to that, dude. I don't care. I go up there. First comic is okay. Mainly crowd work. Here, Sultanovich, very funny older woman. Um, and I go, and I did okay. Do I think 99.5% of other comedians would have been fine with that set? Yes. But as you could see, I'm guessing, um, this was my moment. This is what I've been waiting five years for. To be honest with you, I'd even talked to the booker that day. She hung out with me before then, me and my buddy went. And I was like, hey, can you watch my set? That's how confident. Well, I was on a hot streak. So I go up there and I lay a big old 7 out of 10. You know, good. Shows I'm better than most people. But I wanted to rock the fucking house. So I get off stage. And I'm pretty pissed that I didn't do great. Uh, I go outside. I take my hat and I throw it against a wall. I mean, I'm not wearing a fucking helmet. It's a, literally a trucker hat. My The Budweiser one I wear. I'm trying to cool down. And when, when I get mad, I, I don't. It's not. It's a very internalized. Like, motherfucker. I do that for about five minutes and it goes away. So I'm outside motherfuckering as I pace back and forth. My buddy's like, man, you crash on why you start tripping. I go, I don't know, whatever. As I'm leaving, um, the booker was outside smoking cigarettes, and she laughed really loud and said, Steve, here, come over here, and said I did really great. And so that was pretty cool. So it turns out I did okay. But, you know, you guys know what I'm saying. Seven and a half is not, that's, that might not get you the job, Right. And if it does get you a job, you're like, damn, why did I want this job if I only could have got it with seven and a half? So I did that spot. And then, honestly, I had, uh, um, 
kind of fucked me up mentally for a while. I got this weird imposter syndrome, which is where you feel like you're doing things and you're getting, at least this is what I understand it to be, or at least what I was feeling, that you're getting things and you're doing things that you're not meant to do. Now I know I'm good at what I do and I know I do it all the time. But for some reason, me not killing and the thing that I'd been waiting for for so long put me on a fucking funk, bro. I would say it put me on a funk for a good five days. I think that was last Friday. I don't think I, I think I had a store set afterwards, went up, did good. That was pretty fun, but it was very light and I could kind of, you know, if it's, if the room's very light when you're doing a comedian, what you really want to do is you want to sit in it. You know, you want to sit. That means when you tell a joke, you want to let it marinate. Okay. You kind of always want to do that. But if you've seen me, I normally like to go, brow, 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 brow. But if you're doing that in a room of 25 people in a place that seats 100, it, it's, it's going to evaporate. You know, just like, let's say, I don't know why I'm bringing up like a public massacre, school shooting kind of thing. But, okay, let's not even think about that. Let's just make it hunting. Okay, if the if you're out in a field and there's fifty thousand tears, if you get a machine gun like a turret on a fucking H Hummer, like you're hunting pigs in Texas, and you just rack through everybody, you're gonna hit a lot of shit. You might kill everything, and you're gonna do good. But if you're in a field and there's like six deers, and you got that gun, that thing's not very accurate. You know, it's meant for doing a bunch of stuff. So just like you kind of want to hit each person like a sniper rifle or something. Not person. Fucking moose or whatever the fuck the thing was saying. So that's what you want to do. So later that night, I marinated, had a great set. And the problem with the improv one is it was between those. It was between a small show and a big show. It was between drivers. I didn't know which one to hit. So I think that's what, what happened. So for the next four days, I was in a funk doing stand-up. Um, I did not do new joke night. I did do new, do new joke night. So I have two shows at the comedy store, new joke night and buried buried is on the last Tuesday every month. New joke nights on the last Saturday every month. So I do no joke night and I go up there and just stink. I'm hating my material. I'm hating myself. I feel like a fraud. I'm not selling the material. Then comes, uh, this other show I do, man, I fucked up and I double medicated on Tuesday, which is uh, sometimes I'll take Adderall if I have to. It's was prescribed me since a kid. I don't really take it that much anymore. But I had this packet for a big TV show I had to work on. So I go, okay, I'll take it. I took it, went around. I was like, I don't think I took that. Went back, took it again, and just felt like I was living through a fucking two different dimensions. Literally, like, you ever see a movie where, like, a guy's standing still in New York and it's like, Fucking people are just racing past them. It's just blurs. That's how I felt. I had to do comedy that night. I stunk. And then I had my buried show, and I didn't even do that when I said, I don't want to go up. Then I did Wednesday. Wednesday was fun. Not great, though. And then last night I did the comedy store, and just like always, the comedy store brings me back to life. Started writing a new few bits. I think this bit's pretty funny. Um, Whatever happens on, like, the day after a horror movie, you know? They never really show. I would love a movie that was just there. Like, the, you're going to have to call the cops, you know? Just calling the cops, like, hey, hey, yeah. 
This is Steve Fury over at uh, 8433 Sunset Boulevard. Uh, I just wanted to say that a uh, demon has um, murdered my whole family. Thank God I stopped it. Yeah, I brought a cross, had this whole incantation. Hmm? How did a demon get out? Well, I was reading um, some passages out of a human skin book. What was that? Uh, yeah, a book made of human skin called the Necronomicon. Yeah. Oh, yes, it was. It was Latin. So I was reading Latin out of a human skin book. And, you know, this went to that and a portal to hell opened. And <laughs> what was that? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll come down to the, the I'll come down to the uh, station. Talk to you guys. I think that's a pretty funny premise, right? Never heard anybody do that. So that one kind of hit last night. Um you know why I don't believe in astral astrology too? Is because there's no sign that's good. Every time someone's like, oh shit, you're a Lipitor? <sighs> that's no help in a Lipitor. It's like, is there any that are good? I've never heard anyone being like, oh shit, you're a chimichanga? Wow, you must be rich and happy and powerful. Everyone is a sad weirdo. Me and my girlfriend, uh, she loves 90 Day Fiance. If you don't know what that is, that is when a sad, bald man in America um, hires like a Brazilian prostitute to come live with him. And he fin slowly finds out that she uh, was in it for the money. So sh I'll watch that if she watches UFC with me. And her and I have come to agreement that we'll do it. And I think it's fair because I think it's kind of the same thing, right? Because if you're a guy that really loves 90 Day Fiance or a girl that you have loves UFC, kind of weird, right? They're both, uh, some would say, immoral, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people. Has anyone been noticing there's a lot more ugly people in advertising lately? It's like every time I turn on this, this a show, there's like some ugly man just eating like a chalupa. And it's like, who's this for? It's like I understand giving people platforms and, and making things more diverse. But we don't, we don't need to give ugly people a platform. We should give them a step, a step down. Put them in a cage. Because who's the guy arguing that there should be more ugly people and things? She's just like, hey, I'm Steve Fury. Um, I am grotesquely one ugly son of a bitch. And I think I want to see more people like me. Because ugly people don't sell things. Okay. If you went to a restaurant and it was chuck full of humpbacks. Just a humpback. Looked like a, a whale breeding ground. But of Quasimodo's. You wouldn't be like... This Baba Ganoush must be good. You'd be like, I'm a Baba, get the fuck out of here. It's like, listen, I'm not in shape. Right? I'm, I'm fat. But I don't, I don't want to see fat people on TV. Because I don't see myself as fat. I see myself as Jake Gyllenhaal. And I want to see Jake Gyllenhaal's do stuff. I don't want to see what I truly am. Seth Rogen's running around. Come on. Okay. That was a couple little bit, little tasters I got throwing at your way. What do I got coming up? Going to be in LA a lot, guys. So if you want to come see me, check out my Instagram.
shows you what I'm doing. I will be in the Bay Area, 7:14 to 7:16 at the San Francisco Punchline with Joe DeRosa. I want to give a huge shout out to West Coast Gardens, my favorite weed in the world. If you guys can smoke it, smoke it. If you can't, ask your cannabis club to pick it up because this shit slaps harder than Will Smith, baby. Other than that, shout out to John Sosis and Tony Gidley at the Comedy Store Records. Shout out, shout out to Bruce Gray. Shout out to you guys. If you guys could start leaving some... Uh, little bit of a little old, uh, little old uh, comments or uh, ratings. Really appreciate that. Um, some of you guys have been leaving ratings, but they've been a little low. Um, <laughs> you don't have to do those. I mean, I guess you can, but it'd be nice if you dropped a couple fives on there. A little fives for that ass. So this week, we are doing Ferdinand Marcos, one evil, sick son of a bitch. And that will be next week. We are doing with Andrew Orolfo. I do have coming up a man who sold methamphetamines out of a taco truck and some other good stuff thanks for guys checking out share this podcast with your friends i love you see you later bye andrew thanks for coming in buddy thanks for having me dude so today we're going to talk about ferdinand marcos um his son is now the i'm not sure is it a president i guess of the Philippines? I don't really follow that. You don't follow that, but you've been to the Philippines. I have. Yes. Did you go with uh, Joe Coy, right? I did. How'd that go? It was very fun. Very interesting. They're very different. Yeah? Very different. Tell me a little bit. Uh, as soon as you get off the plane, the crossing guards have shotguns. <laughs> and it's not even like, it's not even like a cool looking shotgun. Oh. It literally looks like, you know when people like steal shotguns? And they like sand the paint off. Yeah. To just oh, start, they're like so, worn too. Yeah. So it's like it's it, they, like so you get out. You literally you step out. You step out of the airport, and there's just like this old ass Filipino dude who's probably in the, like seventies, and he's just holding. He's just holding a shotgun. And <laughs> the it's, Elmer Fudd one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks like that. It's the same color. You know what I mean? Woodstock. Yeah, because it's like I, I mean I don't know what their budget is, but they got the 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 sawed off. Sh- sanded silver shotgun. Well, this guy also kind of boosted your mati- uh, the Philippine, not your, sorry, uh, the Filipino mati- uh, military, which kind of led to why it seems a little dictatorish mm-hmm. since then. Mm-hmm. But you got a big military, that kind of stuff happens. So we'll just jump into this guy. Um, his early life, he was born on 9 11, never forget, <laughs> 1917. <laughs> Ferdinand Marcos was born and is part of the second generation of the Filipino political dynasty of the Marcos family. Mm. 9 20, 1925, Mariano Marcus, Ferdinando's father, loses his congressional seat to Julio Naluncinan. How do I say that? I think that's fine. That sounds pretty good, yeah. right? That night, Mariano Ferdinand and his two uncles meet to plot the assassination of Julio. Damn. Speaking of fathers, what's one of your favorite memories of your father? Uh, so my, my dad used to manage a, a building in Oakland, like a, a whole apartment building. Oh, okay, like, a, got... like a... Uh, what is that project manager or the PJ the PM? What was that old show with uh, the PJs? Oh, that yeah. was PJs though. But he was called something. Oh, sorry, keep going. Yeah, but he he was one of he was one of those dudes, mm-hmm. and that's how we got to stay there. And then I remember one one time this dude was like late, 
and me, uh, my dad and this guy had funk for like a long time. And this was like finally the time like my dad could like do something about it. And I remember they were like arguing about like paying rent. And then he's like, fine, I'll go get a, I'll go get a check. And then uh, he write the dude writes the check and then gives it to my dad. My dad takes it, crumples it up, throws it at his face. It's like, this is not even going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Game over, buddy. <laughs> you gave me too many chess pieces. <laughs> You're done. Yeah. That's a fun one. Mine, I remember my dad getting mad at somebody. No, he's kind of a fumer afterwards, my dad, you know, mm. like something happening. Like, you know what I should have done is I should have done this. Uh, like, paces. Yeah, my dad's kind of hood. <laughs> <laughs> 9-21-1935, so about 10 years later, shortly after his 18th birthday, Ferdinand assassinates his father's political rival. Ferdinand was a member of the University of the Philippines rifle team and swiped his team captain's rifle in order to carry out the assassination of Julio Nalundasin? Nalundasin. N-A-L-U-N-D-A-S-A-N. I think you're doing all right. Nalundasin. Well, you think he swiped... The rifle from his homie because yeah. to frame him? To frame him, but it uh, doesn't go very well. Damn, just imagine if UCLA had a rifle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just be a bunch of dorky white guys just shooting people's heads. What, well, what he does, right, is he positioned himself outside of Julio's house. Ferdinand waited until he could see Julio brushing his teeth. As soon as he put down his toothbrush, Julio's head exploded from the shot of Ferdinand's rifle. God damn. I know, just get your head. I mean... What would be a worse way to die? Can your teeth brush is kind of a refreshing thing but, to be your last feeling. I guess, but the fact that he let him finish. Yeah, that is true. Just imagine if you were taking a shit, yeah. you let him wipe. He thinks he's good. I wouldn't let him wipe. <laughs> you have to die with a shitty ass. <laughs> is there anything you're very good at? Like a small talent that people don't know? Ferdinand was good at shooting people's head. Is there something that people don't know about you that you're good at? Uh, I can. Oh, this! <laughs> I take so much pride in this. Uh, I can fall asleep immediately on a plane. In, in uh, any other places too? What? Can you just go to sleep immediately anywhere? Yeah, I'm. I'm good at falling asleep. Oh, yeah, That's and I so cool. And it doesn't matter the surface or whatever. Like when people, when people are like, uh, "We don't got room in the hotel. We don't got a bed." I'm like, "Nah." <laughs> I got the tub. Yeah. <laughs> There's always room. That's if awesome. I, if I could fit in it, I could fall asleep. Mine's probably like the opposite. I have a special ability to never sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I have the hardest time sleeping all the time. 1938. Three years later, while in the midst of law school, Ferdinand is finally charged for the murder of Julio, along with his father and uncles. Ferdinand and his uncle Lizardo received the death penalty for their roles in the Julio assassination and the crime of premeditated murder. Evidence proves that the only person with access to the type of rifle used in the assassination was Ferdinand. The Marcos family appeals their sentences all the way up to the Philippines Supreme Court. Fortunately for young Fernand, Ferdinand, and not for the Filipino people, one of his law professors sits on the Philippines Supreme Court and was close friends with the Chief Justice. Goddamn. Justice Jose P. L'Oreal sees himself in a young Ferdinand because he'd beaten someone to death when he was in college <laughs> after the dispute. <laughs> Such a fun way to bond over someone. Yeah, it's not like normally. It's like you know, I see myself in you because you work hard. Yeah. And this one's like, no, I beat a man to death. <laughs> kind of seems like you. Like Ferdinand Laurel had a law professor on the Supreme Court when he was in tried for, for frustrated murder, 
and had his conviction repealed and throw out due to his potential for good. Damn, people get off on potential. Oh, potential. Dude, he get Chief Justice Laurel acquits Ferdinand of the murder charges on the promise that he will pay it forward and dedicate his life to helping the people of the Philippines with his newly obtained law degree. Damn. Awful. I mean, that one moment plunges the Philippines. <laughs> I wonder if it's the, there's like an opposite. I know, like in a different like, universe? No, like you do a crime that's not that bad and the sentence is that bad, but you have no potential, so you go on for longer. <laughs> <laughs> You've got like a hunchback, a slur, and a club foot. And he's like, I'm going to be honest. We're going to let you go stay in there for a little while. I understand it was just a dime bag of weeks old. Ferdinand, Ferdinand got away with murder at 21 years old. Talk about a victory. What's something you've gotten away with? 20? Wait, how long was he there? He was at 21 years old is when he got away with the murder. God damn. Uh, something I got away with? Mm -hmm. I think I was like, it was before I moved to Concord, so I must have been like eight or nine. And I was skateboarding in my kitchen, and I fell and i the skateboard flew and hit a hit a wall to oh, where man, put that little knot in it. it it put a it went straight into the wall and but my my dad since he was like the super like the he managed the building yeah. and he knew and my grandpa did all like the handiwork handiwork i knew how to do it so i straight up i like took a little thing cut yeah. out a little board mesh, put yeah, it on there like spackled it up, painted it, and no one ever knew. At like eight years old. That's pretty tight. <laughs> That's way cooler than it. That also, you know, just like yeah. how Ferdinand could have gone somewhere else, you could have gone into a deep evil war of crime. <laughs> you know, on that one, just yeah. covering up for yourself. That's cool. <laughs> the Coke I put behind the wall still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got all your Legos back there. <laughs> World War II. Ferdinand joined the US arms in the Philippines and was activated for duty after bombing of Pearl Harbor. Official records show he was active from 1941 and discharged in May 1945 after being a Chinese or a Japanese POW from August 4th, 1942 to December 1944. Now that sounds kind of like a badass. Yeah. These are the official records of his military service. However, reports released after his exile show that Mariano made a deal with Japanese forces to bring his son home early and that he was only taken to the prison camp for almost a day to help his political clout as a member of the armed services and as someone who fought the Japanese. Wait, what? So he just faked it. His dad wanted him not to be in the military anymore, oh. so he pretended he was a prisoner of war in the Japanese. What he did is just paid the Japanese to let him go there and he went and picked up his <laughs> Damn, dude. He's getting off on these weird technicalities. I know. He's, it's Japanese. The Japanese law was like, he, well, we were going to put him in, but this guy's got spunk. Yeah, he's the, got the spunk law. Yeah, it's that potential. <laughs> the potential goes into spunk and then goes into moxie later. However, his father was labeled as a Japanese sympathizer and was drawn and quartered by caribous. A caribou is like an ox, and drawn and quartered mean that each one of his limbs was tied to a caribou until they were ripped out of his body. God so, damn. So, so far. What year was that? Um, 1945. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know if that long ago. So this is pretty interesting. So far, he's like what? He was born in 20... He was born in 17. It's 45 now, so he's about 28. And he's had his dad die. Thinks his uncles were murdered, and now he, he murdered somebody. He murdered someone, and then someone else got quartered. Talk about uh, taking one for the family. Who's someone in your family you could plan a murder with? Um, either <laughs> my brother, 
Yeah, you guys close? Yeah, we're close. Uh, <laughs> so he's got a history. So <laughs> maybe not. Maybe no. He's maybe him just because. Yeah, he's he's smart. Because I feel like you got to go a couple ways. You got to well, one someone that can shut their mouth. Right. Yeah, I know he would. And number two would either be they got to help you plan it or they got to do it. Yeah. Well, when you my bro, my brother's cool, and when you got when you got R.I.P. Glenn tatted on the side of your neck, I feel like you know how yeah. to do something. <laughs> You at least put your mind to something. You're gonna, you're gonna do it. Yeah. I would go. I used to think my mom, but I don't know anymore. Mm-hmm. I think she's gotten older and got a little weak in the mind mm-hmm. for these negative things. I would go. Wow, I don't know. I think I'd have to go to extended family, but mm-hmm. I don't have any brother and sister. Maybe my cousin Brock. Or I, was just, I think I could kill someone. My, my cousin, maybe. He's in the military, so maybe yeah. he could I don't, do something with that. I don't know. He's like, dude, I work in computers. <laughs> <laughs> if, do they help kill people in computers? <laughs> Not really. It's more of the IT side. <laughs> Political career to president, 1949 to 1959. Ferdinand serves as a second district congressman during this era, the same position as his father. Eventually, he becomes a spokesman for the Liberal Party of the Philippines. The Liberal Party. <laughs> this is what always bums me out, dude. All these evil guys start yeah. in the Liberal Party. Yeah. It's like, fuck. Well, I guess actually some... No, it's kind of all the worker party and the Liberal Party. Um, 913-1957, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., his only son is born. He is nicknamed Bong Bong nice. and is the president of the Philippines as of... Uh, was that May thirtieth, twenty twenty two? That's a pretty common nickname. Too. Bong Bong. <laughs> yeah, I have friends. Like, yeah, Philippines name. What does that mean? Is it Nick just I, a nickname? No, yeah, it's just a nickname. Like uh, one of my cousins, Mok Mok. Uh, really? Yeah, you just double it. kind yeah. of thing. Mine is Dodoy. Dodoy. That's what my <laughs> family calls me. <laughs> like, oh, that's what they call you? Like, they'll yell it out. Yeah, my mom sometimes. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want a president Bong Bong though. Maybe. 1960 to 65. Like, that'd be funny if, like, their president had our president had just, like, a funny nickname. Yeah. Like, Tutu or something. <laughs> <laughs> 1960 to 65. Ferdinand is elected to Senate and rises through the ranks to become president of the Senate. He runs for president during the 1965 election and wins to become the 10th president of the Philippines. Bong Bong. What a fantastic nickname. You've actually already shared this one. Oh. What's one of your nicknames, or what's the worst nickname you've ever heard? Uh... Uh, well, actually, like growing up, people like my cousin and stuff used to call me Pee Wee, because I was like the smallest in the group. Uh, You're not that short though. Now, did you grow up taller than them? Yeah, and I, honestly, I was taller than them. I don't know. Now that I think about it, I don't know why they called me that. But I was, <laughs> I was probably like, I'm not that, sh- yeah, that not tall like, or short. Yeah, I'm like, like very average, five ten. But five, for a Filipino, I'm, yeah. I was like pretty tall. Yeah, I was like in the top. I would think it was my cousin and then yeah. me. I You're don't like know a why. center on their basketball team. <laughs> yeah, I, would say I don't know. Most of the time. I don't know. Worst nickname I've ever heard. I don't know. Some probably some from some open mic shit. <laughs> Whatever. Someone signs up. Yeah, those are good. There's some that sign up here. There's one guy signed up. It was like a Middle Eastern name, and then he goes the only Lebanese comic in L.A. And then his last name. It was like. Yeah, you're Lebanese. Yeah, there's also a guy named Nemer who's like maybe the most famous Lebanese person alive right now. He's on uh, Rolling Stone a couple times. Here's a, a actually this might be the worst one. Uh, fucked up rat face. Yeah, someone called me that. People used to call me that because before I got braces, my teeth were so fucked up. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's probably the worst one I've maybe I don't heard. Like it. <laughs> like, it kind of didn't taste good coming out of my mouth again. To be honest, with you. we cut that. Let no one else know or call me that, please. 
presidential financial scams, and the creation of the edifice complex. During his first term, Ferdinand realized he needs to keep up the promises of building up infrastructure and creating jobs in order to be elected to a second term. Okay, that doesn't sound bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, he starts off... You know, you don't ever think if, like, these guys planned this from the beginning mm -hmm. like, to where they go, or, like, just things got out of hand. His goal is to be the first Filipino president elected to consecutive terms since the country switched to a democratic election process. Ferdinand begins to take out loans from foreign banks in order to fund massive construction uh, and lining his family pockets. As the president continues to take out loans, the Marcos family continues to buy properties across the world and live a lavish lifestyle. I mean, this dude was bawling. Yeah. Like gold, everything, planes. One time his wife, who we're going to hear about, had a private jet for one of her hats to come to America. Only her hat. Just a hat? She forgot her hat and she had a private jet for her hat. Must have been a big hat. Yeah. I don't even think, I think it was just like a little, you know, small hat and uh, <laughs> people start to freak out as they should. That'd be hell funny if it was like a Raiders hat. Yeah, it's not even good. <laughs> it's even small. It's like a yarmulke. It's the smallest one. You're like, ah, we could have sent that maybe in the mail. As the president continues to take out loans, the Marcos family continues to buy properties across the world and live a lavish lifestyle. I already said that. As the construction projects keep going, Imelda begins running campaign and re-election propaganda to the workers and residents of the cities where the construction is taking place. Imelda is his wife. Okay. Utilizing public funded and supported government projects in order to serve a campaign and election propaganda becomes popular among political science scholars and is called an edifice complex so I've, we've all heard that so, so essentially you just help people out a lot and expect them mm -hmm. to then vote for you this term has been used throughout history but the marcos family originated the idea and the idea was a, the topic of a 2003 book by gerald lico which does a complete academic analysis of the edifice complex this wanton spending of the country's funds would ultimately lead to a civil unrest that would turn ferdinand's presidency presidency into a dictatorship mm -hmm. however he had a few massacres to commit in the meantime. What do you mean a few? Uh, yeah, this guy gets bad, man. <laughs> Building a better tomorrow, Ferdinand is coming. He wants to be elected, cement, re-elected, cementing his place in history. What's one thing you would like to be remembered for? Um, that I kept my mouth shut. Hmm? <laughs> that I kept my mouth shut. That's a shut. fun one. Do you think a lot? You feel like you hold secrets pretty well? I think I do. I feel like I hold other people's secrets well, but I let mine go. Oh, the, oh okay. I I feel both. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You're pretty, pretty kept your chest guy. That's a good one. Don't snitch me. That's a fun one. If I had to do anything, <coughs> I don't know. Pretty nice guy. Yeah. I would find that. Eh, he's it's a pretty also, nice guy. It's not for us to decide, you know? That's true. You just got to live your life and mm -hmm. it comes out on the end. <laughs> that would suck. If something else comes yeah. out. Huge piece of shit. Wait, what? <laughs> First term massacre. March 18th, 1968. The Jabidah, J-A-B-I-D-A-H, massacres take place when Moro, Muslim Filipinos, recruits, learn that they will be trained in order to oust members of the religious group from the Philippines in order to allow President Marco to argue that the country is unified in all aspects of life. So essentially these... Uh, Moro were just Muslim Filipinos working for his army. Yeah. There are multiple counts of this massacre, but the amount of Moro military recruits killed vary between 11 to 68. 
Most accounts of this massacre state that the more recruits refused to continue their military training due to the possibility that they would potentially be religiously persecuted from their own community if they joined the army of the Philippines. Jesus. The recruit, what? 11 to 68 is, that is a little different big. number. Well, one is what the Filipino army said, and then one is what the Moro said. Oh, okay. So... The recruits are disarmed. Oh, this is the sad part. The recruits are recruits are disarmed due to failing to follow orders. And it is rumored that President Marcos ordered the killings of the disruptive recruits in order to ensure he maintained a positive image. The official account that is given by the Marcos administration is that the recruits tried to mutiny and take over a base, so he brought down the might of the military upon them because he didn't want any groups ruining Filipino unity. So it was a, a Filipino Muslims who. Tried to join? So he had just... So he's trying to get the whole country together. Right. And he has a group of Filipino Muslims in his army. And they're fucking... They're like, okay, we'll do it. We're here. Yeah. But then he's like, I'm going to use you guys to oust the other Filipino Muslims that are in this country that aren't fucking with me. Uh... And they're like, we can't kill our friends and family. And he goes, no, you're going to need to. And then they go, we can't. And he goes, okay, can I hold your gun real quick? Oh, my God. And then he lets them hold a gun and he his, fucking murders all of them. What's his deal with taking his friend's guns? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he's going to start upping everything. Bad day to be a Moro in the army of the Philippines. Probably wish they didn't go to work that day. What's one day in your life you wish you could live over and over? What's one day I could w- I wish I could live over and over? Kind of like a Groundhog's Day. What's pretty much what was one of the best days of your life that you enjoyed? Um, hmm. I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, maybe... Doing like, uh, was there a specific day that you were super happy in your life? I don't think so. <laughs> it's been pretty bad. <laughs> I can just get it over, and people learn. People remember me that I kept my mouth shut. Uh, I'd be doing pretty good. Um, I don't. Know. I I really don't. maybe like a taping again. You know, those yeah. tapings are always really fun. That's always a fun day. Yeah. Even with a massacre tied to him, Ferdinand Marcos and Imelda Marcos used the edifice complex results in his re-election. However, his family's wanton spending and utilization of the foreign loans to fund government projects create a pay problem. Citizens have become very upset when they realize the lavish lifestyle of their president had nearly bankrupt the country. One of his most egregious examples is a $100 million loan that wouldn't be paid off until the year 2025. So... Three more years. So the crazy one is like when he gets ousted later on, the Filipino people do a tour of his house mm-hmm. and like this, like their country was just in shambles. And it was just like, like it's like agreed, just like gold statues yeah. in the house. Yeah. And like just disgusting. And you just see like these people, like, uh, it was pretty fucking. He's kind of doing like cartel stuff. Yeah. He's doing, I mean, he's doing what a lot of guys do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, there's, did he, did he, did, do we get it? Does he get into drugs or is this is just no, he doesn't okay. get into drugs? Oddly, I mean, and you got Duarte or Duarte, he was really against drugs too. Yeah, Filipinos might not be into drugs that much, or the country at least, or the people are. They smoke this weird meth yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a this weird, like off brand meth that they enjoy. Yeah, when I was there, we were kind of looking for it. Yeah, and people they were like, they, they were like, the people that we were with, we were in like this weird part of town, which that was like cool. Mm-hmm. Like it was like there's this new place in the Philippines that's like it, it's called GBC uh, or BGC. The Bono- letters or those words that someone spells out. It's Bonificio Bonificio Global City, and they started building I think in 2013, and it it's like skyscrapers. It looks like 
downtown LA. San oh, Francisco. cool. And is this where all the like not like white people <laughs> live? You know, it's like where whoever like expats, whoever has money. Oh, the white people do live there. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So and then out literally, and then it's like it looks so cool. It's like rooftop bars, um, weird like Adidas, Nike. Yeah. Pottery Barn, stuff like that. Fat Burger. That was crazy. That was Fat Burger yeah. was over there, huh? Mm-hmm. And I bet they were the just like, we listened store. to Ice Cube. <laughs> we get that Fat Burger over here? Yeah. But we were there, and then they were like, yeah, we could, like, get it. It's not hard. But it's just like, it, it's it's kind of like. I think it's a descent. Yeah, but it's like, exa- I guess it's like exaggerated, is what they were telling me. Oh, really? That it's like, you'll get in trouble. But it, it also... I can't speak on it because I don't live there, yeah. but I, I'm sure it depends on who you are yeah. as well. You know? Yeah, because all the videos I saw were of incredibly poor people, like shacks and like cloth doors getting ransacked by the police, and then like it's pretty gnarly. It's one chick. Um, okay, hundred million dollars. That's a lot of spending cash. It is. If money wasn't an option, what's the first thing you'd buy? Your man will like spend some money. <laughs> Kinda. Um, yeah, cool stuff. You cool yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. First thing I first thing I'd buy, uh, pay off all the debt that I have. Yeah, yeah, that. And then, I, I I would like to give back to my family. I really would. That sounds like hack, but I I actually would. I would want a Porsche. It's a little <laughs> different. Than you. Quite different. Than I have you. I have a very supportive family, and I feel like I owe them a lot. So I I, that sounds like a. That's pretty good. I mean, I didn't think you were gonna go that answer. I thought you were gonna go like. I don't know. <laughs> Louis Vuitton, Air Force yeah. Ones or something. Yeah. The collab. You wanted those Dior well, that's Jordans. Number, that's number two. That's number two. That's two. They're gonna small one. I'll buy those in bulk for everybody. If I had one, if I, if I was gonna buy one thing, see, it's a sick ass house. I'm gonna go buy that. I just wanna see water. So for my deal. I know I've made in life if from my house I can see water. In in this country or you'd go somewhere else? I could go in this country. I don't mind if it's a lake either. Okay. Like if I oh, can go okay. to like Montana, get like a mountain <laughs> yeah. one. That's kind of where I'm going. <laughs> the first quarter storm in the suspension of habeas corpus. Oof. December 1969 to February 1970. So that's not even that long. This time period is referred to as the first quarter massacre because it happened during the first part of Ferdinand's second presidential term. News of the financial peril he had brought upon the Philippines spread across the country and lead to college students violently protesting seven times during this period. This is actually some really cool fucking stuff that the, uh, I think they're, yeah, college kids, but high school kids do it later. Students would gather in large groups, use their vehicles, in one case they stole a fire truck, to ram the gates of government buildings. And once inside, protesters would pile out and begin throwing Molotov cocktails at government buildings. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Damn, they got a whole ass fire truck. Yeah, they got a whole. So th- this is like it sounds like. I don't know if I'm, I. I don't know if we put in how much money they were having, Ferdinand and his fi- family, and then how bad the country was. Like they were like, you know, like flavor flavor with like gold like clocks and like not clocks but like huge gold yeah. necklaces yeah. or like you ever see like a. It's like a there's like an Indian guy who's got like a gold chain link shirt. <laughs> You ever seen that thing? Yeah. yeah. They were like borderline that kind of stuff yeah. when like the country was falling the fuck apart. Yeah. Each one of those protests were met with the military or police force. At least two college students were shot and killed at each protest. So those are seven. Yeah. And all were captured or labeled as political extremists and treated like ter- traitors. So they were brought to jail. Damn. So we just, so, so we did 
January 6th before. Yeah. But yours was a little better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually a reason. There was a reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't just one guy like tricking people. Hell of an entrance for college age Filipinos. They sure hated the government. If you could bankrupt any person, company, country, or organization, who would it be? Easy. Edreams.com. What's edreams.com? A vape that, store? No. <laughs> <laughs> that is a is like a third party rental company. Of cars or something? Of course. I hit, I hit them up like on my trip recently, and I prepaid for a car, and then I get to the thing, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, we don't we don't accept, we can't give you the car for blah 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 reasons," and I was like, "But I had I prepaid, just give me the fucking yeah," and they were like, "No, you have to contact eDreams," and then I hit them up, and then they're like, "Cool, we got your thing, just to let you know, we respond within one to twenty days." So I ate that that. What took I all, you mean you had to get another car or something? No, I just like Ubered around, which was more. So that company. You know, you, when renting cars, you really got to find the right place. Because there's a bunch of them, even in L.A., that screwed me. I remember I mm -hmm. tried to rent one here to go somewhere else, mm -hmm. but they had this thing where it was you only could drive the car in L.A. <laughs> okay. So And then it was like, if you go outside, it was a dollar. How did they know? Is there a tracker on it? <laughs> how did they? <laughs> I mean, I was going to go to Phoenix, so they probably would have been like, how'd you do 800 miles in LA? Yeah. I guess I could have been like Uber eating or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I used your work? car for work. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. That's great. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have went with that that spot because it's a third party site. So you, it's almost. Third party always get fucked. It's almost always a scam. Third party is kind of like when like the US government contracts like Blackwater or Halliburton yeah. and then they can do all these crazy war crimes and then they're like I didn't really do anything That's, <laughs> yeah. we just hired somebody was yeah. like, well, no you point me in the direction yeah. so if, just like if I brought a friend over to your house and he stole your shit it's kind of my fault oh. and the, the rental place I went to it was like it wasn't even a building it was a trailer <laughs> each second you're getting close like yeah and it was like because yeah. you know when you're at an airport and then they, they have a, a shuttle to get to the what rental airport? car, uh, uh, Denver. Oh, Denver, okay. DIA. And they, you know, most airports, they have a shuttle that'll get, if it's not on camp or on the premises, they'll shuttle you. There was a shuttle, and then it has all, like, this shuttle, because it's like Avis, Fox, Hertz, whatever, blah, blah, blah. has all those. I'm looking, I don't see it. And then uh, a little bit down the way, there's a shuttle and it's just for the place I went to and it just it doesn't even have the name of the thing it just says uh, <laughs> off <laughs> off airport rental oh man it's just like a guy wrote it on a pen on a piece of paper yeah, put it the top. yeah. 1971 President Marcos calls for a constitutional convention to rewrite some outdated policies from the 1935 constitution a nationwide election is held and 320 delegates were sent to the capital to draw draft a new constitution that would address societal inequities in the Philippines that had been rising since Marcos came into power. However, it is quickly revealed that 309 of the 320 delegates have had their vote bought by Imelda Marcos. This led to more civil unrest and backed Marcos in a corner that would lead him to his dictatorship. That is insane. I know. Imagine the 11 guys who didn't, though. <laughs> what, everyone's getting pissed at them. We're like, you know, I didn't do this. But, I mean, they probably didn't end well after what happened. The 11 guys were probably just like, damn, we should have. 
Yeah. We should have known her better. You know? Yeah, that, everyone next he's like, how'd you get a Rolex? Why'd everyone have Rolex? <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, we would have done it. We would have oh, voted too. Oh, sick. Oh, sick. <laughs> a Rolex? Bought 309 out of 320 delegate votes. Money well spent. What's the favorite thing you've ever bought? Favorite thing I ever bought? A car. Yeah? Yeah, because it was the first thing I ever, like... Got on your own? Oh, yeah, I got on my own. Yeah. You still have it? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say my car is pretty good, because that's the first one I bought on my own, and I did love it, though I'm mad at it right now, because it, like, battery died, and, <laughs> like, any of your car does one bad thing, I'm like, all right, you're going to sit on your own for a while and, you know, think about what you did. <laughs> I would go... I would say the best. I would go my trampoline when I was a kid. <laughs> trampoline. It was a big ass one too, like okay. a ten foot trampoline. Okay. Second, second thing that I was I'm most proud of. Uh, what, what was that? Com- uh, sidekick. Oh, the phone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I bought my own sidekick when I was. Those were expensive too. I think like three hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, I had a little. I had a little hustle, and I, I, I not a like. I don't know if we'll get into that, but uh, yeah. You, I came up on some money. Like, Will you sell drugs? I used to sell drugs. No, I I would sell. Candy? No, I would sell designer <clears throat> jeans out of the trunk of my car in high school. Fake ones? No, they were real. Ooh, I had a plug. Yeah. Ooh, uh-huh. I would have liked that too. Like the set that was because when we were in high school, that was sevens in True Religion. Yep, I had I had uh, so well. No, I didn't have Trues, but I had. The main ones I had were LRG at the time. Oh, yeah. Those, that was a big those, time for LRG. Uh, Red Monkey. Oh, yeah? A Visu. And then some Diamond. The diamond Visus were real? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So And then I would sell those to kids at the school and staff. I bought, uh, I sold jeans to, like, two of the janitors that worked there. And one of them I sold, I gave, like, five uh, I don't remember how many you gave him. I gave him a bunch of jeans if he would sign off on my like 125 hours of community service. <laughs> That's a good deal. Yeah, and I gave him. And then I, I was doing that for a while because it's like at the time, there's. That's a good plug. We, to have. we were in the high school at the same time. Yeah. So it was like peak hyphy movement yep. for our generation at yep. least. Like uh, the vans were popping, yep. whatever, that movement. Um, and yeah, kids were just. Buying jeans, and the person that I would get him off of, he owned a store in Berkeley, and he he would take me to the warehouse, and he'd be like, "Hey, take these, give me this amount, and do what I sell them for, whatever you want." And I do that, and I'd sell like, I also had like, do you remember those f- fake earrings were super popping back then? Like they were just like huge. Oh, like, you just put them on there? Yeah, like the, the clip them on. Not the clip on. They were real earrings. Oh, but they were the ones that came in like the clear. Plastic, they like with like the yeah, with a piece of paper that's folded on the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Cardboard. Yeah, I would I would sell like cool looking ones of those, and that's kind of tight. And like fake donkey ropes. What's a don? Oh, the big neck, the chain, the chain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was definitely. I had some of Visus. I had two pair of Visus. I kind of want. I've been like trying to like. I just bought my first pair of Bapes. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to yeah. go back into. I'm like, I wish I could get like a pair of vintage Visus and then get them like. Tailored. Yeah, those are probably really expensive though. Yeah. Vintage Avisus? Come on. I know I had one pair that were pretty <laughs> thick. They were, they were like skinny denim ones. Yeah, I wish I saved a lot of the clothes. 
that I had. I feel like I I I I get so many Visu fucking uh, nah. ads now too, and I'm like, is this coming back? Yeah. It's just still too wild looking. <laughs> it's like the the sign the seagull too big on the butt. My, the ones I had, bro, they were like <clears throat> a light wash denim with a couple like worn spots, and then the uh, just on one pocket had the seagull, and it was like a light teal. Yeah, dude, I had ones where it was like the, you know, the Visu logo. Yeah, the it, uh, I would have the that one, and then the logo it would just come down like from the bottom of. Oh, you the got leg, that? Yeah, and then it went all around. That's the a classic crotch, one. Oh, down. the front one too? Huh? Yeah, on the front or the back? No, on like the sides. Like it would go here. Oh. It would like the logo a bunch of times. <laughs> so it's just like a but like in rainbow, like every color just. Oh, logo, yeah. logo, 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 all the way down. I know they're just so. I just have the black ones with the white on the butt. Oh like yeah, yeah, natural denim one, the raw denim ones. Yeah, they were great. Yeah, August twenty first, nineteen seventy one. A Liberal Party rally is held at Plaza Miranda in Manila to show support to eight candidates up for election in the Philippine Senate. A crowd of about four thousand had gathered to watch, and as speakers began. Uh, two grenades were tossed on the stage. Nine people died, including a five-year-old child and a prominent photographer for the Manila Times. Marcos' opposition maintains that it was a false flag, e.g. the government was responsible, blamed a scapegoat for political gain and clout. Operation conducted by Marcos in order to move towards a dictatorship. Marcos condemned the attack and blamed a tiny communist party and its members for the attack. As a result of the bombing, President Marcos suspended habeas corpus, thereby removing political prisoners' ability to have a trial by a jury of their peers. Ferdinand uses the political and civil unrest over the course of the next year to move into the final phase of becoming a dictator. Jesus Christ. Well, that's not a good sign. If you could make a new street sign, what shape would it be and what would it say? Uh, shape? <laughs> this one's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to think of something weird. These were all kind of just normal. What would yours be? I would say no UPS or Postmates <laughs> stopping to drop shit off in the middle of the street. That happens in LA so fucking much in it like it's a one way it's a one lane street and I'm stopped in front of a guy drop it's like going to the fucking driveway. Yeah. People here will double park and it's like just park in the red. Yeah. It's, so that's what I would do. Okay. Uh I guess mine would be shaped as a K. Okay. And say no Korean. No, no Koreans. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like that one. That's just an interesting one. There's just a large kidding. amount of this city that would not be able to uh, just kidding. go anywhere. No, I would maybe, this would be fun. I'd do one where it's like a uh, a skateboard and then it says, yes, you can skate. Yes, there. you can skate. That's a fun one, yeah. yeah. You could easily do that too. All right, that's the first half of the podcast. We're going about to be going into the terrible things that this man does. I.e. all the ways he, um, we got about 25 ways that he tortures people. One of them being, um, one, one of my favorite ones was number five. Someone has to stand in front of a maxed out air conditioner unit, completely naked, while people slap them with their bare hands. I've done that in a hotel. I know, that one sounds, <laughs> I was like, that one's kind of fun. I might do that one right now. So check in next week for that. Bye-bye.